from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. There's two little people, one, and it says, will you give me a kiss? Um, <clears throat> that's from eight, the 1840s, and then there's a picture of a high-button shoe, you know, wow, that's from so me. even the graffiti is historic down there. It is. He said there's a notion out there that anyone can bid on the cave. He said that's not true. Uh, Bidders must provide proof of liquidity and show they are in, quote, the appropriate financial realm for the responsibility that's at stake here. Carol, I'm wondering if that soothes some of your concerns. (laughs) I'm Sarah Fenske. Next Tuesday, 43 acres are set to be auctioned off in Warren County, Missouri, about 60 miles west of St. Louis. Maybe that doesn't sound like news, but what if I told you those 43 acres included a cave? A cave that is home to some of the most significant and some of the oldest Native American pictographs in the eastern U.S. Now would you be surprised to learn this site is being auctioned off to the highest bidder? Both scholars and the Osage Nation have expressed concerns about the sale. And joining us today to discuss what's in these caves and how we got to this point are two people who've spent years studying them. Jim Duncan is a former director of the Missouri State Museum and a former exhibits director with the Missouri Department of Conservation. He's also studied the Osage. Jim, welcome. Thank you. And we're also joined by Carol Diaz-Granados, who is Jim's wife. She's a research associate in Washington University's Department of Anthropology. Carol, welcome. Thank you. And we do want to note that Andrea Hunter, who's the director of the Osage Nation Historic Preservation Office, declined our offer to come on the program at this time. So, Carol, let's start with you. What makes Picture Cave so significant? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Do we have a couple hours? (laughs) Um, there are so many things about Picture Cave. It's it's a very unusual cave, and it is um, it the pictographs have been dated. I'll just give you a general date to a uh, thousand years ago, A.D. ten twenty five. So th- these are very old. Very old, yes. Um, uh, uh, state archaeologists who came into the cave uh, many many years uh, bef- before we did thought they were graffiti because they are so detailed. <clears throat> um, so we had to get them dated. We got a grant from Monsanto and um, brought up uh, uh, the analytical chemist from Texas A&M University, um, and they took pigment samples, and they dated them to, to that 1,000-year-old. Uh, um, and there's lots of uh, <laughs> numbers, but I'm just trying to you know, yeah. keep, it, keep it simple. And it's in a dark zone. It's a dark zone cave. When you once you crawl in on your hands and knees and lower yourself into the uh, main floor, to the main floor, um, it's totally dark. So we only you only see um, what your headlamp and flashlights and lanterns can show. You know can reveal it at one time. So it's not easy to work in. The floor is very uneven, and uh, people can get injured in there. There is a collapse. It's a it's a large C shape, generally C shaped cave, with the center section is completely collapsed, and the pictographs go behind the collapse. So there's more pictographs in there that we've never seen, but it would be very dangerous. But have to it would have to be shored up to uh, see that. 
Jim, are these the pictures that are in this cave? Are these pictures a big deal beyond their age? Uh, yes, they are, Sarah. The interesting thing about them, the, the artist that put them on the wall uh, did it with a great deal of ritual, and uh, I'm sure there was prayers, singing, and these, these images are alive. Mm. And the interesting thing about them, as far as artists are concerned, is a tremendous amount of detail, and uh, the, the quality of the portraiture, the faces, most of them are, are people, humans, but they're not of this world, they're supernaturals. Uh, we fairly well agreed on that. And the portraits of these supernaturals is almost like Daumier's work. They have personalities. Uh, the detailing is incredible. It is totally unique. There is no other site like it in the eastern woodlands of mm -hmm. North America. So it sounds like some very skilled artistry went into these drawings. One of those artists, at least one of them, that did the work was an incredibly skilled person. And believe it or not, he began an art tradition which carried over into Cahokia, mm -hmm. which is a little later than the cave. The cave is actually an earlier shrine than Cahokia, the big mound site. Wow. So, Carol, you described just how hard it is even to get a look at these. I've got to ask, how did you first even become aware of this site? Oh, okay. Well, <clears throat> a couple collectors, avocational archaeologists, brought us pictures to show us pictures. They were drawings. They weren't photographs. They were drawings. And they were so incredible and detailed, we didn't take them all that seriously at the time um, and thought they were fictitious mm -hmm. um, or made up um, or elaborated on. So um, we thanked them kindly and... Um, a month or so later, the head professor at Washington University, Pat Watson, she uh, went into the cave. She somehow heard about the cave, but she's a, a dirt archaeologist. She digs, and she said the floor of the cave was absolutely um, ransacked over the years um, and that there was nothing, nothing left in there. Um, except the pictures on the wall, and because I was working on my doctoral dissertation on Missouri's petroglyphs and pictographs, she said, you need to go take a look. And that's what spurred, um, spurred me on to And can I ask, just, just real quickly, the idea of this having been ransacked um, just by time and, and animals, or had people been down there? People. Many, many, many people had been in the cave. Um, they, uh, there are dates on the wall going back to the 1840s and um, 1840s graffiti. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> there's two little people, one, and it says, will you give me a kiss? Um, <clears throat> that's from eight, the 1840s, and then there's a picture of a high-button shoe, you know. Wow, that's from so the, even the graffiti is historic down there. It is, yes. It's, 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 a, it's, it's an amazing site. It, it covers uh, hundreds and thousands of years. So Washington University got interested in this. You were able to get down there as a result. This was not a one-time trip. I mean, you have now spent years studying yes, this. Yes. Give us a sense of just how much time you've spent down there. Well, we, we started, we got permission from the landowner, and, and insisted that he come with us. Now, at the time, it was not gated. Anybody could go in or out. The first time we went into the cave, somebody had pried a, a, a image of a wild turkey off the wall. It was lying on the floor of the cave. And, and uh, as soon as we saw that, Jim and I <clears throat> said, 
asked the owner if he wouldn't mind if we made arrangements to gate the cave to protect it. It's kind of it was kind of like letting the uh, shutting the barn doors after the horses out um, be, because the floor was totally ransacked. Mm-hmm. Ransacked. Um, but he agreed as long as we paid for everything. And um, the, so you did that out of personal funds, um, except for the hundred pound iron gate and and the rebar. We did, yeah, we paid for all the other um, uh, materials, materials, and fed the the my caving grotto. Fed them after the we did. We worked for uh, all day, you know, for several days to gate the two entrances, and then we'd feed everybody afterwards. So that yeah, that all came out of our pocket. But okay. It, it was uh, we knew it needed to be protected. And roughly, how when was it that these gates went up? The gates went up sometime around 1994. Four, three or four. Okay. We started there in 1991, and we're going in and out with the landowner present for 14, 15, 16 years. Okay. We want to let people know, um, you may be very curious what this looks like. We do have a couple images on our Twitter feed right now. That's at STL on air, if you want to take a look at these amazing pictographs. So, Jim, Carol, and you and Carol were, were here working on the site for years on end. Have we been able to take some discoveries from that work? Uh We sure have. In fact, it was so important when we began to show uh, photographs. We had to get equipment to actually photograph in this dark zone cave. And once we got photographs of these pictures and began to circulate them amongst the the academic community, uh, there was a lot of surprise and there was an awful lot of interest. And out of it grew a, a large symposium and in this iconography workshop that we attend every year, the uh, Linda Sheely series at San Marcos, Texas, uh, Dr. Riley was just absolutely infatuated with everything. He said, this is incredible. There's nothing like it uh, north of the Valley of Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Olmec and uh, Maya both used caves for cave art. But it was unusual in North America to find that sort of elaborate artwork. And like I said, again, as far as the American Indian people that put those images in there, they considered them to be alive. So scholars really were paying attention to this. So much work was going on. It's almost a jolt to realize then we get to where we are now, which is this being up for sale. Carol, how did you become aware that this site was was going to be auctioned? Well, I think I was probably the last one to hear about it because we did not hear about it until the very end of the month of July when <clears throat> an avocational archaeologist uh, called us from uh, Jefferson County, and I was horrified, horrified that, that anything like this could happen. Um, and um, I started, of course, immediately making phone calls to, to see if I could get some details on this. Um, I, I hardly believed him, but I knew he was telling the truth because he had all the de- he had a lot of the details already. Uh, in hand. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so I, we were told, um, we found out later that, that it goes way back to last October uh, that that uh, it was in the works back in October, which, like I said, we just found out in mm-hmm. late July. 
So the family that owns this site, they're working with the uh, auction firm Selkirk. And our producer spoke with Selkirk Executive Director Brian Laughlin yesterday. He told her, quote, there's always reason for concern when something historical is at stake. But he added that Selkirk has, quote, done a very good job here, as is the wish of the family, to clearly vet potential buyers and bidders. He said there's a notion out there that anyone can bid on the cave. He said that's not true. Uh, Bidders must provide proof of liquidity and show they are, in quote, the appropriate financial financial realm for the responsibility that's at stake here. Carol, I'm wondering if that soothes some of your concerns. <laughs> not really. <laughs> and, and why not? Because he's saying, look, this is going to be somebody who's going to take care of this. Well, you know, if, if what's his name, McLaughlin? Um, Laughlin. Laughlin. If, if, yes, if he, if he actually called me and said, this is the person who's, who we think is going to get it, and this is what they're going to do with it. But it's, uh, we're totally, totally, Sarah, in the dark with, regard, with that regard. And um, one of my colleagues, um, I've had a lot of my colleagues very sympathetic and, and trying to give me ideas of what can we do and how can we stop this atrocity and everything. And one of them said something that really hit home. She said um, that it's like holding Picture Cave hostage for the highest ransom. And I think that really that really hit home. So I do want to add, Brian Laughlin, again, he's with the auction house Selkirk. He said his office has gotten a lot of hate mail, but he feels like it doesn't line up with Selkirk's practices or the family's wishes. He pointed us to state laws offering protection for a site like this. It reads, quote, any person, corporation, partnership, proprietorship, or organization who knowingly disturbs, destroys, vandalizes, or damages a marked or unmarked human burial site commits a Class E felony. He says, essentially, nothing can happen to the cave. We're not wanting something to happen to the cave. We don't want to change the property. Jim, first, do you feel like that law would would probably apply in this case, that this wasn't a marked or unmarked human burial site? Uh, We're hoping that that's one of the protocols that will protect it. That's that's our big big hope. Uh, We do know that there was a human burial removed from the cave site. Uh, That was done before we began work on it, but we found records of it, and we were also contacted by the state archaeologist at the Department of Natural Resources. I can't tell you what happened to that burial, and I really don't even want to discuss that. But the site is, and some of the iconography in the cave indicates that it is a burial site for humans. Okay, so hopefully that state law would apply that whoever is taking this on would be under that. That is correct. There's a protocol. There's another one that is also uh, one to be careful about. The cave is also a habitat for endangered bats. Ah. (laughs) And the Missouri Department of Conservation, as well as the Department of Natural Resources, would be most interested in how the traffic would be conducted in that gated cave. Incidentally, that uh, bat-friendly gate that was put up on that cave allows them to Hmm. go in and out. So there are two protocols right there that would absolutely uh, provide some sort of parameters. But one can never be sure. You do not know what is going to happen. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation about this cave. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. Welcome back. We're talking about Picture Cave. That's a cave in Warren County, about 60 miles west of St. Louis. It contains some of the oldest surviving Native American pictographs in the eastern U.S. Our guests today are two people who've studied them. Uh, that's Carol Diaz-Granados, a research associate at Washington University's Department of Anthropology, and her husband, Jim Duncan, a former director of the Missouri State Museum and a former exhibits director with the Missouri Department of Conservation. Uh, we've been hearing from a lot of listeners who've been listening to this conversation here and and are wondering how we got to this point. There's a question from Dirk. He writes, has any effort been made to get this property into the hands of the Osage Nation so that they can preserve it for posterity as they have Sugarloaf Mound in Carondelet? Um, Jim, you had mentioned this was a, a site that, that was a sacred site. Do you know if, if the Osage Nation has had any interest or if people are trying to, to make inroads to them? Well, there's some real problems there, but yes, the Osages are terribly interested in this. They realize that it's a uh, cultural patrimony. Not only did we link it archaeologically by the iconography in the cave with Cahokia, which has pretty well been focused on a group called the Guians, of which the Osage are the principal part of, uh, southern Siouan-speaking people. About a thousand years ago or more, uh, they did the massive mound groups, but the cave actually predates the mounds. Now, the Osage interest is that since it seems to be their patrimony, we found a Jesuit uh, record done in the mid-19th century by a very learned Jesuit priest, and they actually collected the story about the magnificent cave, the wonderful cave. The bad news is Missouri and northern Arkansas were sold by the Osage. They were pressed into a sale for a pittance. But in selling the property, they sold it to the federal government. Now, no one can argue that they did not live here prior to that sale. Mm -hmm. However, the problem came in, and it's in uh, William Clark's daybook. He was the agent and also territorial governor uh, was stationed here in St. Louis. He was very ashamed of that negotiation, and he said if there was anything that condemned his soul to the nether regions, it was because he cheated the Indians. And that is the root of the entire story. The Indians were cheated People would still like to cheat them out of their money for this, which is theirs already. Their cultural patrimony is in that cave. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a real, uh, that's a paradox. The, the cave is a sacred shrine. Those images have been defined. That is the womb of the universe. That is where everything began. And that is where all of the children of first woman, old woman who never dies, the spirit of this earth, that's where they reside. Mm -hmm. So with that paradox in mind, 
you can see why the Osage are so terribly interested, but they have to be very, very careful because it makes no difference. Everybody is out to take advantage of them. They have been that way for more than a century. So it's a very, very precarious thing. So your sense is that they are interested or would be interested, but they might not be the person with the highest bid, the the ability to bring the most resources to this auction. Exactly. Uh, They've been quietly uh, in contact with and negotiating, I'm sure. I don't know any of the details, but I know they have been very careful about this. The other thing is they don't want uh, any additional uh, information because of the problem of cheating. Mm -hmm. And uh, the hostage question arises again. So there's a lot of ethics involved in this, uh, more than I want to even talk about. We could spend hours. (laughs) It'd be more fun to talk about the cave and what it contains. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it was the great St. Louis journalist Jeanette Cooperman who broke the news that this was even happening. She published an essay on August 24th in The Common Reader um, that's published by Washington University. Here's a quote from this. Uh, Quietly, like water dripping down the cave's rough walls, word of this extraordinary place's significance found its way into academia, archaeology, native culture studies. And now Carol Diaz-Granado's phone is ringing and her email is blowing up. Always the same alarmed message coming from scholars and preservationists all over the country. What's going to happen to this unique and sacred American Indian cave? So even before Jeanette wrote about this, it sounds like word was getting out within the the specialized community where it was already on the radar. Carol, is that leading to any efforts that that could, um, could provide a good solution here at this auction that, again, is coming up next week? Yes, um, we're hopeful that, um, that agencies, a couple agencies, are working to try to secure the cave for the Osage Nation. Um, when you say agencies, do you mean public, governmental agencies? Go- private. Private. Okay. Private. Private funds, but but well-meaning people who have a, a good outcome in their mind. Right. And yes, there's there's um, a couple scholars that are working on it, that are involved with the research at Picture Cave that we invited years ago to, to be, get involved. And, <clears throat> and these, uh, this agency and foundation um, are, are really, bless their hearts, trying their best to secure it for the Osage Nation. So I want to go back to some remarks from Brian Laughlin, who, again, is the executive director of the Selkirk Auction House. And he, when he spoke to our producer yesterday, he emphasized Selkirk's hope, along with the family owners of the property, he said, this is for further education and stewardship for generations to come. Uh, Here's a quote. And so from our perspective, it's actually a very positive thing. That's not how it's been received, unfortunately. But in actuality, it's just a misunderstanding. And it's because of the sensitive nature at hand, which is understandable. I just would like to make it clear that Selkirk has taken it very seriously. The family and the auction house, they might have some choices here. Would you like to see them put their thumb on the scale and and go in favor of maybe somebody who isn't the highest bidder but has scholarship in mind and has preserving this for Native Americans in mind? Um, Only only the Osage Nation. Not even the scholarship there. That's that's the critical thing here. And the Osage Nation should be in control of their um, ancestral cave. Mm Mm-hmm. 
<coughs> Jim, um, we had a question from the public. Um, Martin asks, has the Missouri Department of Conservation or the Missouri Department of Natural Resources shown an interest in acquiring this property? I know you're, you're familiar with both agencies. It sounds like your wife would not like to see them get involved. She wants the Osage Nation to get involved. Are, do you know if they have any plans to do anything on this site? Uh, I doubt if the Department of uh, Natural Resources has any funding uh, available for, for this sort of thing. Uh, it, it's The cave is a dangerous cave. It's not the sort of thing you want to buy for people to visit. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, what Carol said is absolutely true. It's, it's hazardous to go down in this thing. There's a, there's a big collapse, and also there's a sinkhole. But uh, the Department of Conservation could manage it if, if, they were, uh, if they wanted to get involved. They could manage the habitat part of the, the uh, bat population. We need them. They're uh, mm-hmm. insectivores, and they're part of our uh, living you know, patrimony. But I think they realize, uh, I hope they do, that if they acquire that thing, that the cave, as far as what's in it, would be under the auspices of the Osage Nation. Mm -hmm. Uh, That, I think, would be a a possible working effort. But whoever gets this cave, they've got to remember that it is a very valuable patrimony. We want to mention that the estimate listed by the auctioneers of of how much this should go for is $1 million to $3 million. So that's a a fair amount of money. Uh, Voight on Twitter asks, is there some way that the general public can assist in helping this cave be taken care of for the future or to help see that the right thing happens here? Carol, any thoughts? Uh, that's a <laughs> that's a surprise question. So, um, <laughs> sorry um, to put you on the spot. Yeah, here. Um, I I don't know. We're, we're we from the begin from from the moment we learned about it, we are just at a loss as to how to make this right. This wrong thing that is being done could be made right, and um, there there's just not enough time. Mm-hmm. I wish I had known about it last October, but. Um, of course, the landowners, um, we haven't been in touch with them for several months, for maybe a year or two, and they did not share what they were doing with us. They probably knew how we would react. Mm-hmm. So, Jim, this is this is such a tough situation, and this auction is going down next week. What would you want people uh, listening to this conversation to keep in mind as we head to that date? Well, the most important thing about the cave, of course, is preservation, and preservation with a capital P means being a dark zone cave. It's like Lascaux in France. Uh, The less human traffic in that cave, the better off it is. It's a terrible thing to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lately, there have been large groups of people going in it. They've had all sorts of equipment and doing all this, that, and the other, and they put a lot of material on the uh, Internet. Uh, I would not be in favor of that sort of thing at all. It must be very carefully monitored. And, of course, with that endangered bat population, they don't need exposures to any fungus from coming in the outside, mm-hmm. pandemics. Uh, I, it's a very restricted situation as far as I'm concerned. And uh, when we did discuss with the Osage Nation, when we had that interdisciplinary project, there were four, five Osages involved in that. And uh, believe me, I mean, there was a prayer, there was tobacco offerings. Uh, they realized the sacred nature of this thing. 
uh, that's their ancestors that are in there. And uh, it's, it's a very sad thing that sometimes in our society we wait until it's too late to really think about what the real value of something is. And uh, there's a lot of work has to be done with that cave as far as archaeological uh, recording and photographing. It's, it's just a bare network of, of photographs that have been put together because of the time restraints and the cost. Mm-hmm. But so much more could be done. But one thing you don't want to do is have too many people in that thing just in there stumbling around talking about what is this, what is that. Mm-hmm. Boy. Well, Carol, this has been such a, a passionate subject of yours now for several decades. What's the thought you'd like to leave us with today? Um, well, I would like to emphasize that this cave needs to be both preserved and protected. And by protected, um, I mean beyond the two wonderful gates that, that uh, our group installed um, because gates can be broken into would like really like um, uh, an upgrade of the of the gates cameras installed and uh, so preserved and protected are the two two keywords and and we would like to see it in the hands of the Osage Nation. Well Carol Diaz Granados um, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Carol is a research associate in Washington University's Department of Anthropology. And also, thank you to Jim Duncan. Uh, Jim, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.